Before I begin tonight's lesson, let me just tell you what a, a, a great encouragement it has been for me uh, to be among you once again. Uh, you as a church and so many of you as individuals uh, as well have all just been such an encouragement to me for a long time. Uh, of all the churches that, that have ever supported me uh, financially uh, in New York... You're, you guys really went above and beyond. You're not the only one that went above and beyond, but I really think about, uh, there, there, I, I'm, let me just tell you like this. There are some churches who sent me a check and that was it. And then the other churches who support me and I felt it and I knew it. And that was you guys. Um, there were plenty of times where I would send out my report and multiples of you would text me or email something back to me and that meant a lot. There were times where you would call or somebody from this group would call me and say, hey, what can we pray for you that you don't put in your report? And those kind of things just meant so much um, to me. And, and every time I've ever been among you, uh, whether visiting um, on, on the way to one of the camps or when you've actually asked me to come for something like like this, uh, I have always just walked away uh, truly being encouraged. And, and I just pray that, that you'll continue to grow in that and the Lord will continue to bless you uh, in all of that. And you, you guys do um, just mean a lot uh, to me and to Teresa, and, and I just want you to know that. I always feel weird when I preach and Teresa is not here. Um, it, 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 has, it doesn't happen a lot, it, it, maybe when I go overseas, but that's a completely different animal, you know. Um, and so I, I do miss her tonight and she is not feeling well, um, but uh, the Lord will be with her and it will be fine. Um, tonight, we are going to talk about God's plan for sex. Uh, when I first started preaching, uh, I preached a sermon along these lines and there was uh, one of the elders wives sitting, no, actually she said about right there. And every time I said the word sex, she just would jerk and like I had smacked her. And so in the course of the lesson, I saw Doris doing that and I saw, I, I saw the connection. And so I started saying sexual relationship and she didn't move. <laughs> and, and so that was probably my first inclination seriously that that i need to be careful um not to offend people with plain speech and i understand that i'll I'll tell you straight up given the choice between you understanding me and me trying not to offend someone with plain speech i'm going to give you this plain speech so you understand me but I don't want to uh, offend anyone. And I also appreciate that there are young ears here. And, and so I do appreciate that. But I do also want you to have a clear understanding of what I believe is a great blessing from God. If you open your Bible back to the place where we began on Friday night in Proverbs chapter 5 and in verse 15 we're not going to spend a lot of time here but i just want you to see this as kind of a jumping off point proverbs 5 drop down to verse 15 solomon says drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well 
So should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be only your own and not for strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? Right there, Solomon is painting these two pictures. One is where it's like water is just flowing out in the street, right? I mean, it's just going everywhere. It's just indiscriminate. And he says, don't be like that. Instead, make this something special. Make this for your own. And he says, you know, why in the world would you look around and be intoxicated by a strange woman when you have the wife of your youth um, for that purpose? I don't think a lot about... Hollywood marriages and stuff like that. But you know that uh, Paul Newman and his wife, Joanne Woodward, were married for 60-something years. And he was being interviewed one time. And the, the man asked him, he said, Hey, I've heard it said that you have never cheated on Joanne. You've never stepped out. He said, No, I haven't. He, asked, can, can, he says, Can you explain to me you know, what, what's that all about? And he says, why would I go out for hamburger when I got steak at home? And I thought, man, that, I mean, that just, what a, 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 a ladies, to me, that was a beautiful statement. <laughs> You're not a piece of meat, but I, I get, I get, I get it. And, and that's what I want you, I, I want to, I want, I want you to see the difference here. The difference in what Satan tells you is good and what God tells you is good. And I want to begin with this idea. I want us to begin by understanding that sexual immorality is a curse. You know, if you go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, what Satan did was try to make God sound unreasonable. That, that's really the place that he's kind of attacking here. In Genesis 3, in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than all the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's like he says, Did God really say you can't eat of these trees? And, and she says, no, he says we can eat the trees, just not that one. But you can see he's already planted that seed and it's getting somewhere because we're not supposed to even touch that one. That may be true, but I don't read that in the scriptures. He said, don't eat it. And, and if we eat it, we're going to die. Oh, man, you won't die. God knows that in that day, you're really going to be like him. So he's trying to keep you from something good. That's what God is really doing. 
So that's the lie that Satan tells in the beginning. And you go across the course of time, you, you think he's changed much. When we think about the way he tells lies about fulfilling our sexual desires. I mean, he tells us, first of all, it is just not reasonable to expect a person to live their whole lives without, without having a hint of sexual morality. You, you mean to tell me you're, you're going to go your whole life and, and never commit sexual immorality? And, and you know, that, maybe that's even hard for us to imagine. But, but I, I have actually met a couple of men who have told me that they have never committed sexual immorality outside of maybe lusting. That, 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 that there's a lot of things that they've never done. And I believe them. So it is possible. But Satan says, look, it's, it's just not reasonable. It's not. Satan says, I'm not even sure if it's good for you. You know, I'm not sure it's even good for you to go your whole life without committing sexual morality. Now, he doesn't use the word sexual morality. He doesn't use the word fornication. Right. But that's really what he is saying. And he, he said, are you telling me? I mean, it just seems it, it seems weird. Kind of seems weird that you would go through your whole life and only have one sexual partner. I mean, that just seems kind of crazy to think about. And you're going to tell me that you're in love with this person. You're going to marry this person. You're going to spend the rest of your life with them. And you're not going to have sex with them before you get married. That's just, that's not a very smart idea. That's the things that Satan tries to tell us. And you know, with that same Level with that same words of trying to make God sound unreasonable, Satan brought ruin into the world. And he continues to wreck life after life by selling this lie about sexual morality. And lo and behold, people continue to buy it. I often will field the question in a public Bible study. Why did God allow, if God was against polygamy, why did he allow it so much in the Old Testament? And my question is, I always come back to them and say, show me one example where God, where, where a man was blessed by having two wives. Yeah, Leah and Rachel fighting, that was great, wasn't it? Sarah and Hagar, I mean, that was such a blessing. No. So even in, 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 in those situations, that's, that's not what God intended. It wasn't a blessing to man. And what we need to understand is something that, that Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. And we need to get this in our head and understand the truth of it. Because he tells us what sexual morality really is. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, when he talks about fleshly lust, I don't think that's limited to sexual sins, but it certainly includes them. And that ought to be one, like one of the first things that come to our mind. And he says it is it wars against our soul. You know that sexual morality, fornication never delivers what it promises. You trade a moment of pleasure for a lifetime of problems. 
Some of those are real consequences of, of having sex. Some of those are just the burden of guilt that you carry for the rest of your life. Thinking about those things. Sexual immorality, it doesn't make you feel better about yourself. Again, I, I made this comment yesterday that, that we as men know how this feels, right? I mean, we, we, we go to the computer, we're going to look at some pornography because of whatever. I deserve it today. I need that comfort today. And I know the ladies think that, most of the ladies think that's crazy, but that's where we come from. And then well, that's where we come to it, I mean. And then we commit sexual morality. We look and we hate ourselves. We hate ourselves in that moment. And when you commit fornication, when you actually have sex with somebody else, and you know better, you hate yourself. You don't walk away from that feeling any better. And it Sexual immorality does not draw a couple closer. It usually leads to more problems in that relationship. In a lot of relationships, before marriage, it kind of becomes a crutch. It's not a great relationship to begin with, but you're having sex, and that keeps the relationship going when it shouldn't be going. And then because you're a person of faith, you're carrying this burden around, and Look, some of you know how that feels. If you don't know how it feels, I am saying these things to beg you to make sure you never find out. Sexual morality gives gives people a false impression of what love and sex really is. I'll probably repeat this later, but I mean, me committing fornication with a girl is all about me and it's about selfishness. I mean, how can you kill somebody else spiritually and say, I love you? And that's the last thing that I want to point out here, that sexual morality kills us spiritually. And that's real death. It kills us spiritually. It drives a wedge between you and your God. I mean, there are plenty of lists about people who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven and fornicators are included. Well, that's the curse. Let's talk about the blessing. Because the blessing is the God that is what God has planned for us. I know you've heard this, but I mean, isn't it kind of cool when you start thinking about this, when you start thinking about in Genesis chapter 2, that, that God in all of his creation, as beautiful it is, as wonderful it is, as it is, he saw one thing that wasn't good. There are several times in Genesis 1, it was the first day, it was the second day, and it was good. But in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. And that's exactly what he did. I think it's cool that God made Adam name all of the animals, male and female, before he got Eve. 
I think if nothing else, it was a way to show Adam how alone he was. And also to show him that there was no animal there that was comparable to him. And then he caused a deep sleep to fall on him, took one of his ribs and fashioned a woman. And then he presented her to him. And this, it, it doesn't say this in the Hebrew, but when, when I read verse 30 or verse 23, when he says this now bone of my bones, flesh, my, you know what he's really saying? Wow. Wow. Because she was everything that he needed. And, and, and if, 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 if you're striving to be a good husband, you know that this is true on so many levels. Man was created a physical being. Man was created a spiritual being. Man was created an emotional being. So guess what? That woman completed him emotionally, spiritually, and yes, physically. And it was at that moment that God instituted marriage. When the Pharisees asked Jesus about marriage, where did he take them? Right here. This is what God intended for man right here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. You know, it was after this that God says it was very good uh, in Genesis 1 31 is actually, you know, chronologically after this, where it says, then God saw everything that he made. And indeed, it was very good after man had a helper suitable to him. Ecclesia, I mean, Proverbs has a lot to say about staying away from strange women. And it also has a lot to say about the value of a good wife. It's, it's kind of a cool thing to notice. I noticed this a couple years ago and actually one of the boys camps taught a lesson from looking at the different ways Solomon uses women, even metaphorically at times, to get our attention. And it's, you know, if you want to get a guy's attention, a woman is a good way to do that. And so he talks about wisdom as being a woman. He talks about the strange woman and stay away from her. And there's other ideas like that as well. But he also very specifically talks about the blessing that marriage, that a wife is. If you look at Proverbs 12. And verse 4, he says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Chapter 18, verse 22, it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and, and obtains favor from the Lord. Let me show you this real cool connection. If you go back to chapter 8 and verse 35, Wisdom is speaking and she says, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. So when you find wisdom, you find uh, favor. When you find a good wife, you find favor because there's wisdom in that woman. 1914. He says, houses and riches are inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife 
is from the Lord. 31.10. You know, again, as, as you're turning there, I think 31.10, it's great that women study it and think about it and look at this, but this is something men should look at. This is written to young men. This is the wife you should be looking for. And so he says in 31.10, who who finds a virtuous, who can find a virtuous woman? For her worth is far above rubies. And then he goes on to talk about what this woman looks like. And he said, this is the woman you need to be finding. This is the blessing God wants you to have. Again, I'm a, I fear sometimes in these kind of lessons, in these kind of weekends where we talk about sexual morality, that it makes people think that sex is bad. And sometimes, Teresa and I, Teresa more so with young ladies, have to convince them that sex and marriage is good. And what we see in the scriptures and what we see even in our just thinking through this from a biblical perspective is that the truth is everything that is wrong with sexual immorality is made right in the marriage relationship. It is designed to fulfill our needs. That is certainly true sexually, right? If you think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, where he talks about fornication there, he says, flee fornication, the old translations. Mine says, flee sexual morality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual morality sins against his own body. Drop down to chapter 7. And he's, in verse 2, he says, Nevertheless, because of sexual morality, let each man have his own wife, and each woman have her own husband. There's the solution. You want to know the solution to sexual morality? Every man have his own wife. Every woman have her own husband. There's the solution. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 4 says, The marriage bed is undefiled, but... Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. But we don't want to be so naive to think that God only created marriage for us to be fulfilled sexually because there's deeper ideas here, there's deeper needs that are met. You know, we all want to love. And we all want to be loved. And so God gave us this marriage relationship so that we could learn that, so that we could feel that, so that we could have it, experience it. We all need to trust and to be trusted. And let me say something. This is what makes sexual morality so bad, especially after we're married. Because when we're sexually immoral, we break that trust. And we break trust in a way that should never be broken. Because somebody's made themselves so vulnerable to us and now we've broken this trust. So we made them feel like there's no trust anywhere. There's no place to trust. That's why this is such a big deal. We long for acceptance. You know, again, I don't want to say too much, but you just think about this. We all, you know, we all feel insecure. We all have body image issues. But when you find this one person that loves you for who you are, and you can have this marriage relationship, and you can have this sexual relationship where you're fulfilled in that, in in those moments and in those times, those body image 
insecurities just go away. And that's such a wonderful feeling. And, and just flat out friendship. You know, marriage gives you this avenue to, to spend so much time with a friend. Can y'all tell I like being married? <laughs> but there's another deeper level, level even beyond that. Because the more I study and the more I think about this, the more convinced I am that the marriage relationship, and this might even sound dumb to y'all because you figured out this a long time ago, but, but how much the marriage relationship shadows the relationship that God wants to have with us. Marriage is about commitment and security that comes from that commitment. And what does God want from us? You go back to Exodus 14, I mean, uh, Exodus 34. Also, it's in Exodus 20, I believe, where God talks about, I'm a jealous God. It's really interesting to me there in Exodus 34 because he keeps talking about a covenant. I've made a covenant with you. Keep my covenant. Keep my covenant. Don't have other gods because I am a jealous God. Keep my covenant. Keep my covenant. And this marriage relationship is a covenant. And the cool thing is, is God says, hey, you stick with me and I got you. You you will be safe and secure in my arms. And that's why God was so upset. I mean, he, he, he envisioned, he spoke of Israel chasing after other gods in, in the context of them being harlots, prostitutes. So, I mean, do, do you really think God just wants you? I mean, do you really just want to give yourself to anybody? You know, I mean, do you just want to give yourself to, to anybody sexually? I mean, don't you really want to give yourself to somebody who's going to value you and respect you? You know, I mean, it, it's a horrible feeling to be used, to be cheated, I mean, treated cheaply. And, and there's a reason why we call girls who are loose cheap. You, you want to be valued. I mean, don't you want to give yourself to somebody who is willing to give themselves to you? And so look how that mirrors the relationship with God. He gave himself for you. And he asks that you give yourself to him in the same way. Take up your cross and follow me. Marriage is also about intimacy and it's about this close personal relationship to have with another person. Man, it was, man, man, it's probably been 35 years ago. Tommy started a, a sermon and he said, you know, he said, we often hear people talking about having a personal relationship with God. And we kind of look at that and say, rah, 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 you know, but don't you want to have a personal relationship with God? 
And, and that's what God wants for us. He wants this intimate relationship with us. And again, he speaks of this. He speaks of this relationship that he's looking for with us in the terms of a marriage. Think about Hosea chapter 2 and in verse 16. This is kind of just really neat to me. He, he says, in that day, and it's after they've suffered and come back to him, he says, in that day, you will call me my husband and no longer my master. You drop down to verse 19 and he says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you in righteousness, in justice, in loving kindness, in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. I don't know specifically. I don't remember looking this up recently, but I don't know specifically if that time there when he says you shall know the Lord is that intimate Word like when Adam knew his wife. But there's plenty of times where that's true, where God uses that word knew, know in this intimate way. He wants to have this intimate relationship with us. Turn over in the New Testament to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and in verse 2. This is Paul talking about the Corinthians and, and what he's, where he's placed them. And he says, for I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Again, one of the, one of the worst things to me about sexual morality is that it just, it cheapens and even destroys this connection between sex and intimacy. There are among young people the, this, this idea that kissing a boy is a bigger deal than fornicating with him. That that's more intimate. And look how it just throws things out of whack. Sexual morality often creates a callous on our heart that deadens the pleasure that true intimacy is supposed to bring. One of the things I said to my older son who's married on the day that he was married. And I'll say this to you men. And you got to figure out what this means on your own. That's what I told Jordan. I said, I want you to figure out what this means. Find a way to shower your wife with non-sexual intimacy. And he just kind of looked at me and I'm like, that's right. You know, you got to figure what that, out what that means. But not all intimacy has to lead to sex. But that is supposed to be like the most intimate thing in, in the world for us. And again, that shadows this relationship that we're supposed to have one for another. When our daughter Kelsey was sick before she died... Um, one of the times that just would find the most comfort is when Teresa and I could go in our bedroom, close the door, and be together. And it, the world shrunk to two people. There was so much comfort in that. that those intimate moments... And that's what the Lord wants for us. 
there's there's something else that is is really it's cool to me and that's the idea of oneness have you ever thought about the idea of oneness in our marriage and oneness in our relationship with God when again when the Pharisees asked Jesus about marriage in Matthew chapter 19 and in verse 5 he quotes Genesis 2:24 for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh now Compare that to what Jesus prays for believers in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, verse 20, beginning, Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be made one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And that the glory which you gave me I have given to them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me. That they may be, may be perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me. And, they lo- and you have loved them as you have loved me. I think it's so cool to think that that Eve came from a rib of Adam. So she is his flesh and blood, but she is a separate person now. But they are supposed to strive to learn what it means to be one again. You know, the devil says to truly experience life to its fullest, you need to have multiple partners. And God says, no. God says, no, the the way is, is to find one and to be one. God wants us to experience oneness in marriage so that we can understand oneness with him. And again, it's so cool to me to think about God in three persons, yet being one. How do I understand that? How do I grasp that? Well, I am one with Teresa. My parents weren't Christians. My parents weren't great parents. My mom got better when she became a Christian after she finally kicked my dad to the curb for cheating on her for the last time. My stepdad came into our family. Thanks be to God to him. But before that, the biggest time I ever got in trouble with my mom and my dad, my real dad. Um, I was riding my bike. Mom's backing out of the driveway. She almost hit me on my bike. And she says, go put that bike up right now. Well, she was going to work, right? So I go inside. Hey, Dad, you mind if I ride my bike? No, go ride your bike. So I go out and ride my bike. My mom forgot her lunch. And she came back home. She saw me on the bike. I got that circle beaten. Y'all know it. You know. Went inside. My dad said, what's up? He's out riding his bike. What? And then dad got me. Dad, you didn't get a circle beating. You just got a beating, you know. In that moment, they were one, right? Spoke with one voice. If my dad had known what my mom said, she would have done the same thing. He would have said the same thing. And that's just a small illustration of this. And it doesn't even get to the full depth of what it means to be one. Sometimes I forget Teresa's another person. 
I really do. That's what this is about. Learning to look at somebody else and understand that's you. That's what God wants us to see in Him and in our relationship with Him. Marriage is about true love. That's what this is all about. You think about Paul's discourse on marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. My favorite part of this is what he says at the end. Uh, We we won't go through all of that just for the sake of time, but but you know what he says. He makes this comparison about how husbands uh, start with the wives. That's where he starts. Wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Husbands are to love their wives as they love the Lord, as the Lord loves the church. I mean, and then he goes down through there and talks to us about how to, to build this up and how to do this. And lo and behold, in verse 31, he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and, the, and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Every time I ever teach this, I ask the question. So is Paul saying that the marriage relationship mirrors what God wants from the church? Or is he saying that the church relationship mirrors what God wants to see in a marriage? And the answer is yes. That's the right answer. These two institutions, for a lack of a better word, that's a horrible word, but it's the best one I got. Mirror each other. This is what God wants for you. And this is the image of perfect love. This is the image of complete love. Again, sexual morality, fornication is all about selfishness. If a boy pressures you to have sex and says something like this, if you love me, you will have sex with me. Buddy, you know right there, he don't love you and I've got the solution for you. Kick that dude to the curb. Girls put pressure on boys to commit sexual morality as well. They will try to play that love card as well. And I have the same solution for you. Kick her to the curb. Be done with her. Well, it might hurt. (laughs) But man, you'll get over it. And you'll be pure. And you'll be right. And you'll be with the Lord. God's plan for sex is for me to be thinking about somebody else. Somebody else's needs. Somebody else's emotional and spiritual needs. And somebody else's physical needs as well. This is the kind of love that God has for us. This kind of love that He wants to be one with us. He wants to think about us. He wants to be in this place where he can't but think of us. He doesn't use terms uh, of marriage in the passage I want to look at in Isaiah 49, but I still think that we see this idea of just this sacrificial love and this not being kind of being in a place where I can't but think of you. And this great love that he has for us. Isaiah 49 and in verse 15, he says, can a 
Woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb. Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. Let me just stop right here. And you know, I didn't know this until we started having babies and Teresa nursed. And I, I found out that if, if, if a nursing mom doesn't nurse regularly, she feels pain. It actually starts hurting. And, and so she will even know that she needs to nurse. And so he's saying, you know, a woman might be able to overlook that pain and forget the nursing baby. And I mean, think about how hard that is, even if you didn't get the part about the pain. He says, I never will. And listen to what he says next. See, I have you inscribed on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Just kind of making this up, but every time Jesus picks something up, now he sees a scar. Why is it there? Because he loves you. And he remembers at that moment that he loves you. We all have these scars that we can tell stories about, and I'm not going to do that. But his scars remind him that... He loves us. And he can't forget. And again, that's the kind of love that God wants us to have for him. Turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Beginning in verse 28. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well. And he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. By learning to love my wife with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. Teaches me to love my Lord in the same way. That's what he wants for us. And I can honestly say that. Being married has helped me love the Lord more and helped me appreciate that much more how much the Lord loves me. I mean, there are times, there are more times than I can count where Teresa will serve me in some way. And I think to myself, I do not, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this at all. The fact that she forgave me when I confessed my sexual morality to her and strove with me to help me overcome and to help me be a better man. When she helped and strove to, to, to build back a relationship that, that I caused damage to, it again reminded me that's exactly what the Heavenly Father does 
for us. Sexual immorality does more damage to you and your soul and your ability to be close to God than you can ever imagine. But following God's plan for sex will give you great showers of blessing. You know, on the one hand, God's plan for sex is designed to keep us from feeling empty, lonely, and dirty. But on the other hand, it's designed to help us know security, intimacy, and unity. It is designed to bring us to oneness. If you are here tonight and you're not married, I beg you to wait. There are countless passages of scriptures that we could turn to and talk about waiting on the Lord. But I'm not sure if, if, if any of them top Psalm 25. And so I want to end tonight just by reading Psalm 25. And now waiting on the Lord is, is again, it's a whole lot deeper than sexual morality. And so I don't want to make anybody think that I think Psalm 25 is about sexual morality or God's plan for sex. But it is the idea of trusting God's plan, waiting for God's plan to be uh, unfurled. And so I, I want to ask you tonight just to read this in the, in the context of the lesson and think about it from the context of the lesson about waiting for God's plan to unfurl for your sexual life. He says, that's the Psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your way, o, ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I will wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercies, remember me, and for your goodness sake, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides with injustice, and the humble he teaches his ways. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquities, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look at my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me.
Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of their troubles. You will not be disappointed by waiting on the Lord. But if you rush things, you could ruin everything. And if you're married, embrace the blessing of oneness. Revel in it. Protect it. Fight for it. Learn what it means to appreciate sexual intimacy with God, uh, spiritual intimacy with God through your sexual intimacy with the God, your God-given mate. The last thing that I want to say is maybe you've messed up already. But even in Psalm 25, David cries out, forgive me my sins. The great thing about God is He is always willing to give you a do-over. God is willing to wipe the slate clean and let you start all over again, even when we mess up big time. You know, I'll tell you right now, we often look at David and think, oh yeah, he messed up big time that one time with Bathsheba. I'm not even convinced that is his biggest mess up. I think numbering the people later on was a bigger deal. 70,000 people got killed over that. God still forgave him. In our Bible class this morning, we talked about Moses striking the rock. And yet, when Jesus was transfigured, Moses came from heaven to speak to Jesus. He came from heaven. Only he could have got there is if God forgave him. You can mess up big and God will forgive And the best time to start doing things better, the best time to ask God for a do-over is right now. I said this earlier, make this be the day, make make this be, uh, I said this to the men yesterday, look, I want you to look back on this day. And, and, and think about that's the day I decided to really get my life straight. And if you're not right with God, you can look back to this day and say, that's the day that I made really decided to make my life right with God. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. You know, you can look back on this day and say, that was the day I was born again. That's the God that we serve. That's what God wants for you. God wants to forgive you. God wants to have a relationship with you. I beg you, let him in. Let him be one with you. If there's anything that we can do to help you be one with God, won't you come down front and let us know what we can do right now as we stand and sing.